You know, one of the things we learn as we um, go through life is that sometimes the things that we want most uh, are the things that could be the very worst for us. Um, it's not always true, but, but sometimes it, it can be. You know, people are always pursuing that American dream that, that they, they have everything that they want, that they have everything um, that they need, that everything is taken care of, and there's no real questions or worry. Um, but you know, God doesn't always put us in, in that place. He doesn't always put us in that place where there's, um, there, there, there's no worry, there's no doubt, there's no reason to believe or trust Him. Uh, and that is a grace, because in a lot of cases... Uh, he puts us in a place where we think there's no hope outside of him, and that's exactly where we have to be. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Samuel, our First Samuel chapter 16. First um, Samuel chapter 16 tells us the story of, or, or well, in, introduces us, I guess you would say, to David. Uh, but we have to kind of keep ourselves in context to know where the people of Israel were, and specifically because we're noticing his attitudes and his actions. Let's notice where Samuel is. Um, Israel had wanted a king like all the other nations. That is the words that they came to Samuel and said, we want a king, make us a king like all the other nations. That's what they desired, uh, even though they had a king like no other. God had promised to be their king. He was their king. He went out for them in battle. He ruled them. He did everything that they needed done, everything that a king would do. God did it, but he did it per perfectly. And so uh, they were desiring something else. And so after repeated requests, uh, God gave them Saul, a king like all the other nations had. Because all the other nations had a king that probably was a decent warrior. Um, maybe he looked the part because it says Saul was a head taller than everybody else. He was handsome. He was the kind of guy that you would say, yeah, we'll follow this guy. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll go after this man because he looks like a leader. He looks like the kind of person, you know, like our president. He looks like a guy that you could follow, that you could go along with, that kind of person. Well, when we get into uh, the story of Saul, we find out that he might look good, he might be able to fight, he might be able to lead an army, but what he can't do is he can't interact with the Lord. See, he's prideful, uh, that's, that's one thing, he's certainly impatient, but then when we really look at the thing is that he is spiritually bankrupt. He doesn't know how to deal with the Lord. He does not have discernment about what God's will is. He doesn't know the word of God. He doesn't know the ways of God's people. And those kinds of things are going to build up to a point where he commits a sin and God rejects him. So God rejects him as king of Israel, and that is a very low point. The people of Israel may not recognize it, but Samuel surely did. So when we read the end of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, it says that Samuel, who was the prophet, he was the guy that had anointed Saul to be king, when Samuel knows that God has rejected Saul, Samuel mourns this. He grieves this for the rest of his life. It says that he never goes back and sees Saul again. And so Samuel would have been going through this. Now, maybe the people of Israel weren't so in tune as to know what had happened, but their king, who was supposed to have the Spirit of God resting on him, didn't anymore. They were a, a people of God without a leader of God. And so that was going to be a very big problem for them. So now that Saul has been rejected, what we see immediately in Samuel chapter 16 is that it's time for God's choice for the new king to be revealed. And so that's immediately what we go into. So the sermon in a sentence is this. The Lord's plans are perfect for us, and they are the only source of true joy. 
Because when we open this up, we're going to see Samuel grieving, and God calls him out of that. Um, we're going to see God give Samuel instructions that are specific, but they don't reveal everything. Um, and so Samuel has to be obedient and go and do what he's supposed to do. And we see how God's plan is working out and working out to be perfect and to be a thing that people can rejoice in. So I'm going to read you this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1 through 23. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. <clears throat> and Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked at Elab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his statue, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abnab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. Now that actually could be translated the smallest. Um, so, so David was not only the youngest, but would have been the smallest in stature, the run of the litter. That's what David would have been. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he said, or and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes, uh, and that could also be translated, he was beautiful to the eye, either way, um, and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for he for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre, and when the harmful spirit uh, from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, what a coincidence, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them to David, 
his, uh, his, sent them by David, uh, his son, to Saul. And David came and, to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loving, loved him greatly, and, became, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Okay, so we get to meet David. And so the first part of this, we're just going to call this the new king is found. Uh, because God knew where the new king was, but Samuel didn't. And so that's kind of part of his uh, part of his journey, his spiritual life. So Samuel was hurt by the failure of Saul. You have to understand, Samuel was the kingmaker. Um, yes, God led him straight to Saul. And, and, and yes, it was God's plan to, that Saul become king. But, but Samuel was a part of that. Samuel invested in Saul. He mentored him. He tried to make sure that Saul could succeed. So when Saul failed, and, and this is how any leader really ought to feel, when, when your pupil fails, when the one that you've been mentoring fails, it hurts. And so it was hurting Samuel, and he was in this time of grief. But also, Samuel had you know, kind of a, another iron in the fire, and that was Israel. He was the judge of Israel. He was really one of the, the only judges that was a national judge of Israel, so of all the people, and he had put a king in place that was a failure. And so not only had he failed Saul in his mind, probably because he didn't lead Saul in the right ways, um, that's not what the Bible says, that's just probably what would have been going on in his head, but also he had let Israel down because they needed a king, and now they have one, but one that's been rejected by God. So you just have harm on all sides and in all ways. And so that's definitely part of it. And so the, the thing that we can see here is although the sorrow over what Saul's reign could have been might last a lifetime, the Lord's plan was to anoint a new king. We see God call Samuel out of his grief, at least for a time. He says, how long will you grieve over Saul? He reminds Samuel that Saul has been um, rejected. He says, I have rejected him from being king over Israel. And so that's the, that's the, the, the kind of the command, like, I have moved on. I have, I'm going forward. You must go forward with me. And so that's the challenge. So Samuel receives a clear command from the Lord to go and make a new king. Um, but the old prophet knows that Saul would be watching him. So, that's, so God says, fill your horn with oil. So this would have been an animal horn. And he would have had to fill it with specially consecrated um, olive oil to go and to make a new king. Well, they didn't have TV back then. They didn't have TikTok. They didn't have anything that would distract you. And so if, if the national judge goes walking around with his horn of oil, word's going to get back to Saul pretty quickly. And Saul was probably watching Samuel anyway. And so the kingmaker going around with his, his uh, horn of oil that was going to anoint the new king, that would have been a pretty big problem. And so what happened, and because Samuel had told him, God's going to bring forth a new king. Your neighbor is going to take your place. So Saul would have probably been watching Samuel anyway, and so Samuel raises this objection. Hey, you know, David's going, I mean, um, Saul's going to be watching me, and so he's going to kill me when I go out and try to make a new king. And so God gives him a cover mission, and this is a legitimate mission. God's not telling Samuel, go lie about what you're doing. No, this is a legitimate thing that he was able to do. So Samuel is to bring a heifer uh, to the area of Bethlehem to go to that city and make a sacrifice. Um, this would have been outside of his typical jurisdiction and definitely not something that he would do often. Um, but Samuel was a Levite. 
and the Bible gives rain for Levites to go, and, and, and this, this heifer offering would have been an offering that would have been made um, for basically absolution if there was an unsolved murder. So somebody had been killed, nobody could figure out who did it. This was the offering that would be made for an unsolved murder. So when Samuel comes, now you've got to keep in context, you've got to remember that Samuel, he probably has a great reputation as a prophet of the Lord, one that spoke with the voice of the Lord. He definitely had lived, because he's an old man, so he had lived out his life in honor and respect. People knew him, but he had also just cut a man to pieces recently. Um, so when he comes into Bethlehem, the elders are terrified. He comes in with the, with, with the heifer. He comes in with the sacrifice. And the, the people are, are, are terrified. Like, what does he mean? That's why they come to him and they say, do you come in peace? Well, he literally just cut somebody to death. And so we want to know what your intentions are first. And he says, yes, I come peacefully. I come to make this offering. And so the, the people might have thought, well, he was going to accuse somebody of murder or something other else bad was going to happen. But yes, he says he comes peacefully. And so what he tells them to do is he, is he tells them to actually consecrate themselves. And so what that actually means is that they have to enter into a state of ritual cleanliness. That's take a bath, that's change clothes, that's a whole list of things that you have to do. Um, but what I want to point out is that when we look at what's going on here, um, Samuel at this particular stage in his life does not know what God's plan is exactly. At this stage in his life, he does not know what, who God is going to choose, how God is going to make that choice appear. Samuel doesn't know, but yet he is being obedient. Samuel is an example of faithful obedience even when you don't have all the answers. God will always show you the next step to take. He won't show you the next ten to take. That's just not the way that he goes. And so we may not know where we're going next. We may not know what we will do next. God doesn't always reveal all of those plans. Even when we look in the New Testament, we look at some of the prophecies about the end times, there are a whole lot of things we don't know that's happening in between. So what are we called to do? We're called to walk obediently, to do the things that God did clearly tell us to do, be obedient in those things, and wait for His will to be revealed in the world. That's what we're supposed to do. And so that's exactly what Samuel's doing. He's going about the process. He is a prophet. He is a Levite. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And so he goes through this process. Now, the fact that he had to specifically invite Jesse means that Jesse and his family would not have been high enough up. The elders of the city would have known that they were invited. The elders of the city would have known, hey, if they're going to be a sacrifice, I'm going to be there. But Jesse may have been low enough on the ranking order in Bethlehem that, that he wouldn't have even thought that he would warrant an invite. And so Samuel goes specifically to Jesse, hey, you're going to be invited, so consecrate yourself, consecrate your young men. So they had to go through this preparation as well, and so they come to this, this time. Now, Samuel is in this situation. This is the only time in Samuel's career that's recorded in the Bible where he doesn't know exactly what God's going to do. I mean, every other time Samuel just like, he has these dreams and everything's like, like he knows what's going on. But in this case, he doesn't know which person God is going to choose. Remember, when he goes to find Saul, he knows that he's going to find Saul. And he knows that Saul is hunting for a lost donkey. I mean, he knows everything about the whole situation. But here, he doesn't even know which guy he's about to anoint. And so he goes to this, this sacrifice, and he's looking through the, the children, the, the sons. He's looking through the sons of Jesse, and he's just trying to use his discernment. So he looks at the first one. And tall, handsome, 
this has got to be the Lord's anointed. But the God, said, God said, no, this, this is not it. And at that point, God tells him something. He says, look, you're not looking for outward appearances. You're not looking for somebody that looks like a king. Because, see, the Lord knows what's going on in a person's heart, and that's how he's going to choose. And so that's what Samuel goes through. He goes through this, this thing one by one, looking at their outer appearances, but also using his discernment. He goes through every son that Jesse has, that Jesse brought, and then he asks Jesse, do you have any other sons? Is there anyone else here that, 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 that you can bring? And Jesse says, oh, the smallest one, the little one, the youngest one. That's what David was. He was the afterthought. He was not the one that, that you would have brought and said, surely this is going to be king. Surely he's supposed to be at this sacrifice. Surely he matters enough. Like everybody was gone and, and David was there taking care of the sheep. And from what we read about David and, and other parts of his life, it seems like he was perfectly fine with being out of the spotlight, just kind of being you know, in, in his field with his sheep and not really worried about what everybody else was doing. That seemed to be what he would have chosen anyway. So what we have is a situation where now Samuel stops the whole proceedings. And you have to understand, with, with these sacrifices, with things that people are used to, they're used to things. Like, if right now I stopped and Miss Cheryl got up and, and led a song, nobody would know what was going on, right? It ain't in the bulletin. That's not how you do things. Well, everything was rolling along, and all of a sudden Samuel stops everything and says, we're going to wait for David. We're going to wait for David to come to this sacrifice. So that would have changed things for everybody. Everybody would have been on alert. Everybody that was privy to what was going on would have been on alert, like, what's going on with David? And so David does show up. And when Samuel looks at him, there, there's several words that, that he uses to describe them, all like physical appearances. So one, it says ruddy, um, which means red, but it also means bronze. So it means like he had been out in the sun, he was of good health, he looked like a person with a lot of vigor, like he looked like a, but, but he would have been young, but he looked like a guy that is rustic, he would have been outside. So, so he had that, that, that lifelike glow to him. Uh, and then it says that he had beautiful eyes, or he was beautiful to the eye. Um, they probably go hand in hand, to be totally honest with you, but just physically, symmetrical face. I don't know, what, whatever makes guys pretty, that he would have had that going on, right? And then also, it, it, it talks about the fact that, that he was a young man, that you, as you look at him, you would have thought that he was handsome, Right? And so the Lord says that he chooses him, but we have to remember that the Lord didn't choose David because he had a good complexion. The Lord didn't choose David because his ears weren't too big. The Lord chose David because of his heart. He chose David because of the heart that he had. And that's going to be the key as we look through the life of David. David's not perfect. David makes mistakes. David does things that you would sit back and say, wow, I don't think anybody should do that. But David does those things. But then David will also admit when he's wrong, he will repent of his mistakes, and he will change his life to better obey the will and the word of God. And so that's, an that's a key thing that we look at. That's the heart of David. That's what we see. So David was chosen based on the only thing, that, uh, or the only thing others cannot see. That's his heart. That's how David was chosen. David was chosen not because of, of what he looked like, but because of his very own heart. So, in his own father's eyes, this is important, David didn't warrant an invitation to this party at all. In his own father's eyes, he was nothing more than just the little one. And this is a constant theme throughout the Bible, that God takes the ones that are rejected, 
God takes the ones that are outcasts. God takes the ones that are loners that don't want the spotlight, and he brings them to a place where he can use them in a mighty, mighty way. Once Samuel anointed David, it says that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and it never left. Now, we know David's life, and we know that there was going to be things that happened, but one thing that we can see with David is that he goes ahead and provides us a hope for that future king. Because David is a person that has the heart right. He has the heart right. Now, if, if you've ever had to like, deal with people and evaluate people, hire people or something like that, there's qualifications, and, and then there's who that person is. And when you look at people, you might look for certain qualifications, things that you can do, things that you know how to do so we don't have to teach everything. But at the end of the day, you're going to look at that person and say, is this the right person? Do they have the heart for this? Do they have the will for this? And when God looked at David, David had the heart for it. So why do I say that? Why do I bring that out? Well, because you may already know what God's calling you to do or what God wants you to do, and you may already be telling God, well, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. I'm not a head taller than everybody else. I'm not handsome. I'm not ruddy. I got freckles and my hair, my beard are two different colors. Whatever it might be that you got going on in your personal life, you might say, well, I'm just not qualified. I can't do this. But God looks at the heart and he knows that on the inside, what he's chosen for you is perfect for you. He knows that. And that's what David gives us is this opportunity to see that God can see things that no one else can see. He can bring that kid that wasn't even supposed to be at the party. He can bring that person to be the king of his people. And when we look at Jesus, isn't he the ultimate rejected stone? Isn't he the ultimate outcast, the one that, that no one would have thought anything about? I mean, everything about his life was unassuming. Yet he was God's son. He spoke the words of life. He lived perfectly and he died for all of us. So David is only a shadow of what Jesus would be. Because as we've titled this whole series, there's no king like Jesus. But David is that new king. And I want you to just look. The main reason I included these last several verses is because we get to see David act the way someone should act. So the, the new king serves is the second part. So looking at verse 14 and, and following. Verse 14 really is troubling. Let me read it again in case you forgot. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. That doesn't sound anything like the New Testament at all, does it? That doesn't sound anything like what we are used to hearing. Okay, so let's, let's break this down. Harmful spirit, it can be interpreted three ways. It can be a demon. Um, it could be an immoral spirit, like a, a, like a morally bankrupt spirit. Or it can be a spirit of misery. So we know that God could command demons. Jesus commanded demons while he was on this earth, but he didn't use them as his own agents. He didn't use demons. Um, so we scratched that one off the list. And then, and then we, we know that, um, that, that God probably could make somebody sin, but the New Testament tells us that God doesn't tempt people or lead people into sin. In fact, Jesus taught us to pray that we don't enter into temptation, so it seems like maybe that's not it either. But when we look at it, and it definitely fits with everything that we see in the evidence of Saul afterwards, he did have a spirit of misery. And yes, that was, that was because God's spirit left him. And yes, that was something that God let rest on him. But he had failed. 
He had every opportunity to succeed. He had a clear instruction from God, and he failed. And so, yes, he was miserable. That makes perfect sense. He was a miserable man. And in that misery, he had these tendencies. Um, when we look at him, it, it, it's almost like he could be manic depressive. So he could be like really, really crazy, and then he could be really, really down. He could be loving and kind at times, and then he could just be a monster at other times. He had all this going on. And we might say, yeah, that could be diagnosed as some kind of mental illness, but we know for Saul specifically that it was his relationship with God had been destroyed, and it was, it was incredibly painful. And so he has this, this, this contrast between David, this rejected king who has disobeyed God, has not been faithful to his word, and is now living in misery, versus this new king, this future king, who loves the Lord, who has a heart for God, and has the Spirit of God resting on him. And we see those two things. And you might say, well, that means David's better than Saul. What that really means is that we can't live without God. And it shows us that. It shows us that without God, there is sorrow. With God, following his plan, following his word, there's joy. That's what it shows us when we look at that. And so when we look at Saul, this is definitely a sad time for him. But just like usual, just like usual, Saul doesn't know how to deal with this. So let me give you your blank. After uh, the Spirit of the Lord left Saul, he was in a state of constant misery. Um, just like normal, Saul can't diagnose what's going on in his own spiritual life. Uh, he knows he's miserable, but he can't diagnose it and say, well, it's because of this or it's because of what the Lord did or, or, or whatever. And it's one of his servants. And Saul must have been surrounded by some really spiritually in tune dudes. And so uh, this, this one says, hey, you've got this, this spirit of, of, of misery on you. You've got this harmful spirit from the Lord. And, and what we need to do is we need to find you somebody that can really play the guitar. I mean, the, the liar. Somebody that can really play this instrument well to, to put you at peace and make you feel better. And, and Saul says, okay, go find him. And so another guy around says, hey, I just happen to know a dude. This guy, is, he, he's a good warrior. He's a person of valor. That means that he's an honorable man. He is a skillful person. He can sing. Um, he, he lists off all these things, well-spoken, all these kinds of things. And so what this guy's doing is saying, like, like David, this guy that I'm telling you about, not only would he be able to play the music and soothe your soul, but he is also going to be a great aid for you. He's going to be a military aid. He will be the kind of person you need to surround you anyway. And so with everything that he tells uh, Saul about David, it all works out to be a, a great resume for David. The Lord is with him, so all of these things. And so Saul sends for David. Now, when Saul sends for David, um, what we see is that Jesse actually sends like a load of food and, and drink and stuff so that David is not a burden on the king, which is just interesting. It doesn't have anything, um, I'm not going to preach anything about it, but it's just interesting to, to see what he does. And so what we see from this as far, as far as God's plans go, God's plan places David in the king's court so that he can learn from an early age. So he's a young, young man, and at that moment, he's learning what it's like to be king. He's learning how not to be king from Saul, but he is learning as he goes, and so it's a beneficial thing for him. Now, let me point this out, because this, this, is, this is where we see who David is. A lesser man who had just been anointed, and he's got to be a teenager at this point. He's been anointed as king. He comes to the king's court. Well, it's going to be his court one day. A lesser man would have started working that towards his advantage. A lesser man would have tried to discredit Saul or, or maybe tear down the dynasty in some other way, but that's not what David does at all. 
Instead, David played his instrument. He sang in such a way that it ministered to Saul. And the, the, the rejected king, this, this Saul, he loved David and, and sent for Jesse to say, hey, just keep, let me keep David. Let me just keep him always. He's, he's, he's my guy now. So he makes him his armor bearer, brings him into a position of trust. I mean, this, this is a very important step for David. And, and so what we see is that the new king is a minister to the rejected king because of the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is on David, so therefore he can minister. So in this case... It's, it's kind of unusual. There's not something that I can bring from, from now and say this is exactly how it is. But David was in a position where he could have advanced the will of God on his own, or at least attempted to. Because he knew he was supposed to be king. He could have advanced that agenda, but he didn't. Instead, he just served God day after day and let God work all these things out. Saul's going to have a 40-year reign, and in that time, he's going to love David, he's going to hate David, he's going to try to have David killed. David's going to have to live as a refugee, an exile, a, a bandit, a warrior, all kinds of things he's going to have to do, all because Saul is the way that he is, but David never makes an attempt on Saul's life. He never takes action against Saul. He never slanders Saul. He is faithful all the way through. When we look at, like, Abraham, you know, God promised to Abraham, you're going to have a son, and after a little while of, of waiting, Abraham started trying to take things into his own hands and make that happen for himself, but David never does this. And this is an incredible example for us because in some cases we do know what God's will is, at least the, the final part of God's will. And when we know God's will, but yet we want to push it, we want to speed God up and hurry him up, we can't do that. David shows us that that's not the way to do it. And so in those years with, um, with, with David waiting for Saul to get out of the throne, for God to make that throne available for him, David is faithful. He doesn't question God's plan. He doesn't do anything that disqualifies him. He certainly doesn't try to advance God's plan on his own. He is faithful to God, and that is a great example for us. So let's wrap this up. In David, we cannot help but look forward to King Jesus. Uh, we, we have to realize that David is that, that example of, okay, so he's a man, and Jesus is going to be so much better than this. When we look at David... Now, if, if we had an honest and, and clear description of every king on the face of the earth, I tell you, David would have been the best. If we, if we could look at every king, we could line up their sins, we could line up their achievements, we could look at everything that they had to work with, David would come out on top every single time. I do believe that. So when we look at David, and we see that Jesus is so far greater than him, so far greater than him that, that David would call him his master, would, David would call him his Lord. That's what we have to look forward to. It'll also help us to look at David's example, what he was. Many of the Psalms that we know today were written during this time that he was waiting. And when you look at those Psalms, they are patient. They are just, they're praise. He's worshiping God. He wasn't anxious about when things will happen for him. He was simply praising God and letting God be in control, just like he needed to be. Um, Saul had neglected his spiritual life, and probably from a very early age he had neglected it. But David treasured his relationship with the Lord, and we can see that in his writings. We can see that in the stories in his life. We can see so much through that. And again, David doesn't try to rush the Lord. So here is kind of the, the, the takeaway that I would say. Never take your relationship with the Lord for granted. Never. 
Always spend time working on your time with the Lord, whether that be prayer, whether that be Bible study, whether that be you know, fellowship with other believers, whatever that is, make sure that you are investing in that time because that is very much a part of your life, very much a part of the joy of your life. And also, never doubt God's plan. His timing will never be your timing. It will never come out when you want it to come out. It will never happen the way that you want it to happen. But he's always right. We're always wrong, but he's always right. And so I don't want to send you home all depressed and sad because I'm always wrong. No, go home happy because God is right. God is true. God is faithful. He absolutely will never fail you. Just as when Samuel goes into that room trying to, trying to find a king and he can't find one, God already had a plan. We have to recognize that when we go through our lives, God's got a plan. God's got a purpose and he will bring that to fruition. We just have to trust him. So work on your relationship with God while you have time. Trust him always. He will never fail you. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather together. We thank you for your word. I thank you for letting us learn a little bit about David and just how he came to, to be king or to be anointed as king. We know that he's going to have to go through a very long season of waiting. And Lord, that has got to be one of the hardest things for us down here on earth to do is wait. For you, a day is like a thousand years. For us, a day is like more than that. Lord, sometimes we have to wait, and sometimes we don't know how long we have to wait, and that can be miserable for us. But I pray that you help us to be patient. I pray that you help us to trust you. I pray that you help us just to do the things that we know to do until you reveal something else. Lord, we know that you are in control of this world and praise you for it because when we look around and we see the people that think they're in charge, they're scary folks, but you are an awesome God. Give us confidence in you. Give us a peaceful spirit because we know that you're going to work everything out. Help us to know that we have nothing to fear from this world because we belong to you. You are our provider. You are our defender. You are our savior. You're our Lord forevermore. Thank you for that. Let us be thankful for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.